It's time for America Outdoors Radio, the show that covers the outdoor scene across the U.S. of A. and the entire continent. Fishing, hunting, conservation, outdoor recreation, and great destinations, we cover it all every week. It's your country, your outdoors. Let's explore it together with your host, John Cruz. Welcome aboard. We're starting things off welcoming some new listeners tuning in out of Finley, Ohio on WFIN AM 1330 and FM 95.5 as well as listeners tuning in to us on WKCT AM 930 out of Bowling Green, Kentucky. Welcome to our 135 plus station radio network airing in 32 states. We are truly the fastest growing fishing and hunting radio show out there and we are happy to welcome you to the family have you managed to get outdoors this past week and maybe have some fun fishing turkey hunting or doing some other activities i know i did my best friend rusty and i got onto our home lake potholes reservoir in eastern washington to pre-fish a couple of bass tournaments coming up later this week Bass fishing, for me, is always like solving a puzzle when it comes to figuring out where the bass are at any given time of year and what they will bite on, and we slowly put the pieces together over the course of the day. We actually didn't get a bite for three hours, but eventually we did get bit, and once we did, we were able to put the pieces of the puzzle together and catch some decent largemouth bass. Now, everybody knows what works today may not work next week, but at least I'll be going into these tournaments with some idea of where those fish may be, and I think I'll have a good lure tied on for them, too. Wish us luck. As always, we are going to need it. This week on the show, we've got some great content for you. There's a couple of fishing tournaments happening out of Marathon in the Florida Keys for a fish known there as a dolphin. It's also known as a Dorado south of the border and Mahi Mahi in Hawaii. One of these tournaments is taking place this coming Friday through Sunday and the other the week before Father's Day and you are invited to participate in either one. Captain Jack Carlson with Two Conks Sport Fishing will tell you more in just a minute. Another guest we'll have on is Randy Opplinger. He's the sport fishing coordinator for the Utah Division of Wildlife Resources. And they've got some really good fishing in Utah, in case you didn't know that. If you go to the agency's website and click on the fishing page, you'll be able to access a map where lakes around the state are given reviews from one to five stars that will give you an idea about where the current hotspots are. We'll ask Randy how these ratings come about, and where some of the five-star fishing locations are so you can plan a fishing trip in the Beehive State. After that, we'll have an extended conversation with Hank Forrester. He's with the National Deer Association, and he just wrote a great article about how to be a successful mentor for new hunters. There's a whole bunch of things to consider here, and reading the article, I realized I have certainly made a few mistakes over the years when it comes to introducing individuals to the hunting I'm so passionate about. I'll share my mistakes and Hank will share some sound advice that will help you not only have a great time with that new person on their first hunt, but get them hooked for life. Finally, I'm going to tell you about a GoFundMe campaign I've organized for my friend Rhonda Edwards. Rhonda is a passionate angler, horseback rider, and Harley Davidson rider who has been battling cancer for a long time and doing so with grace, humor, and bravery. 
The cancer has gotten much more aggressive as of late, and she needs specialized care that she can only find in Houston, Texas, which is a long ways from Washington State where she lives right now. That's why we've established the Help Rhonda Edwards Fight Cancer fundraising campaign. We'll give you more details towards the end of the show, but you can actually check out a link to the campaign right now if you'd like to on our America Outdoors Radio Facebook page, and I hope you can help her out. The funds you donate can literally help save her life. Next up on America Outdoors Radio, if you're looking for an excuse to go fishing in the Florida Keys, I've got a great one for you. It's the 17th annual Tom Thumb Marathon Offshore Bull and Cow Dolphin Tournament. It's going to be happening Friday through Sunday, May 5th through the 7th. With us here to tell you more about it is the man that's put this all together. That would be Captain Jack Carlson, who owns Two Conk Sports Fishing in Marathon. Captain Jack, great to have you on the show. Oh, thanks for having us. So why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about the Bull and Cow Tournament? Sure, yeah. So we're in our 17th annual Marathon Offshore Bull and Cow Dolphin Tournament, and we pay out up to $25,000 for the largest bull dolphin and cow dolphin combined weight. So it's a pretty unique tournament, something different. It's just not heaviest fish overall. You have to bring in your largest bull dolphin and your cow dolphin between the two days, and we add those together, and that's what takes home the grand prize. But not only that, you know, we also give away money for second place, third place, bull and cow, but we have largest dolphin overall, which is usually a bull. Then we have largest cow dolphin. We got three largest dolphin combined weight, uh, largest wahoo, blackfin tuna, and triple tail. So each one of those score another thousand dollars for each one. And then you get great trophies, which is uh, like this year, we're doing full actual mounts from Gray's taxidermy. We already have them. And so, you know, the winners are going to be taking home a big bull dolphin and cow dolphin for there. So something that they can hang up and put the plaque underneath, and it's going to be great. And a lot of this tournament, you know, we raise money. Uh, you know, we do a lot with the Jose Wahevi Foundation. So, you know, a lot of that money uh, goes to them and sponsors their foundation. So that's what we do down here in the Florida Keys. Well, it sounds like all sorts of fun. So what is the entry fee? The entry fee is nine ninety five. That's for up to six people on a boat. That's everybody gets tournament shirts, and then that includes the banquet dinner as well on Sunday. That's going to be held at the uh, Florida Keys Aquarium Encounters, a great spot. So that gets you in there to go check out the aquarium and good food and collect your money. So you can register now at MarathonOffshoreTournament.com, or you can actually register. I'm guessing there's going to be a captain's meeting on the 5th. Is that correct? Yes, yes. So you can register there, but all the registration is online. So whether you're here for the meeting or, or that, but you can get on your phones and, and register right online. Everything is there. You pay there, and so you come through on the email, and therefore you are submitted. So, But you come to the captain's meeting to, you know, to pick up your captain's bags and stuff like that, and you know, we get the shirts and all that good stuff. So but it's a great time. You know, it's always a good event. We already have you know, over 50 boats, probably pushing 60 now. My waymaster handles all that, so he's in charge of that. But, yeah, he's been updating me. So we already have a great turnout. It's always a lot of fun. And, you know, it's just a good time. It's a great event. Always has been. The captain's meeting and the weigh-ins each day are at Two Conks Bait and Tackle. Uh, where's that located at in Marathon? Okay, that's at 11499 Overseas Highway here in Marathon. That's uh, mile marker 53. And it's right off US-1. So, you know, we put up the tents and wave the fish. And, and uh, the car's driving by, honking, waving, you know, seeing everybody's catch. You know, it's, so it's a great event. We're easy to find. 
And I like the fact that the awards banquet, which is 7 p.m. on Sunday at, like you said, the Florida Keys Aquarium Encounters, non-anglers can also attend, and that's only $5 per person, isn't it? That's it. Yeah, 25 bucks gets you in, gets you fed, and uh, you get to check out the aquarium and all that good stuff. So, yeah, anybody like that can swing on by. Well, this sounds like a great excuse to go fishing down in the Florida Keys to me this coming weekend. But if folks can't make it on this short of notice, you do have another tournament coming up, the Father's Day Dolphin Derby. Tell our listeners about this one. Yeah, that's also another great event. And that one, just so you know, it's always the Saturday before Father's Day. So we always give fathers you know, uh, the resting on their day. But Saturday is the day of the tournament, and it's a great time. And that right there is largest fish overall. So it would be largest dolphin overall, and then that's going to pay out, you know, first, second, third, and even fourth place. So it's going to go, you know, 4,000, 2,000, 1,500 are the payouts for that. You know, and that is an individual tournament, unlike the Bowling Cows of Oat tournament. And this one is a per-person tournament, the Father's Day Dolphin Derby. So you could actually technically win on the boat first place and third place. So then you can really score some good money for for a one-day event. Very nice. All right. The website to go to, MarathonOffshoreTournaments.com for either the Bull and Cow Tournament that's coming up May 5th through the 7th or the Father's Day Dolphin Derby that is the weekend before Father's Day. The website again, MarathonOffshoreTournament.com. Head on down to the Florida Keys, go fishing for dolphin, and have some fun. Captain Jack, thanks so much for sharing this with us today on America Outdoors Radio. You got it. Thanks for having us. We've been telling you about Sportsman's Cove Lodge in southeast Alaska for a while now. They're truly Alaska's best lodge. Wildlife is abundant, from bears and deer to eagles and whales. And let's not forget the reason you're here, the fishing. Halibut, salmon, lingcod, rockfish, true cod, and more. It's all waiting for you in abundance at Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Book your trip today at alaskasbestlodge.com. That's alaskasbestlodge.com for Sportsman's Cove Lodge. Ready to step up to a quality-built rifle or shotgun that's a true classic? Check out Henry Repeating Arms, American-made. There's over 150 models to choose from in a variety of finishes and calibers for hunters and target shooters. Many of these are lever-action models with a classic look right out of the Old West. Don't be deceived, though. Henry Repeating Arms are modern, rugged, reliable, and have a lifetime guarantee. Find out more and order a free catalog today at HenryUSA.com. That's HenryUSA.com. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nationwide nonprofit organization dedicated to providing hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under who suffer from life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. These adventures make big differences in the lives of those who participate in them, and in many cases are literally a dream come true that brings hope and therapy to their lives. Find out more, get involved, or donate today at huntofalifetime.org. That's huntofalifetime.org. Huntofalifetime.org. 
Come explore the Dalles in Oregon for outdoors fun. Hike amongst the wildflowers, bike our riverfront trail, or visit the Gorge Discovery Center where you can enjoy a live raptor display. Or even check out our National Neon Sign Museum. But don't forget the fishing. We've got salmon, steelhead, bass, walleye, and monster-sized sturgeon waiting just for you. When the day is done, tell those tall tales at one of our wineries, breweries, or restaurants and plan your next adventure. Find out more at explorethedalles.com. Welcome back to America Outdoors Radio. Our next stop is the great state of Utah. Now, a lot of folks think of going there for desert hikes and the rock formations, but there's some really good fishing to be had there, too. And with us here to tell you more about it is Randy Opplinger. He is the sport fish coordinator for the Utah Department of Natural Resources Wildlife Division. Randy, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. So I was playing around on your website, and if you go to the fishing page, you actually have a map, and you have these lakes that basically have reviews, kind of like a a Yelp review, except they're fishing lake reviews. And I noticed there's a number of them that have five-star reviews. Now, are these five stars given by staff, or are they given by users who are fishing the lakes? Yeah, those stars are given by basically people who are fishing the lake. So what we've got on our page is a bunch of dots across the state. So this page is fish.utah.gov, and you can click on a water, get more information about what fish are in that water, how you fish that water, stocking information. But one thing on there is a rating feature on that page where we basically ask people to tell us about their experience. So the star ratings you're talking about are really user ratings coming from that feedback that we're getting from the public after they go fishing. Okay. Well, let's run through a few of them that might fish well during the month of May. And we'll start off at Grantsville Reservoir. Now, when I think of the Great Salt Lake, I certainly don't think of fishing. But just south of there, you've got Grantsville Reservoir. What are folks going to catch there this coming month? Yeah, Grantsville Reservoir, it's, it's one that's been fishing pretty well. The late, if you look on our webpage, it, it recently got five stars on there. It's kind of a lesser-known water body. It's, it's a little bit west of Salt Lake City, so it's near a town called Tooele. But you're right, it's just on the south side of the Great Salt Lake. And the water itself is one that we stock with a lot of rainbow trout in it. So it's got good rainbow fishing, and typically we do stock it in the month of May. So it's a good time to get out there and get some rainbows. It also has some smallmouth bass in it, so sometimes springtime could be a good time to catch some of those smallmouth. So that's, that's another opportunity you've got at Grantsville Reservoir. All right. Well, let's head over to Provo Canyon, scenic part of the state. little place in there called Vivian Park Pond that also has a five-star rating. Yeah, that's kind of an interesting one. So Vivian Park, it's, it's actually part of our community fishing program that we've got in the state. So it's, it's a small pond, but it's a pond that we stock. It's kind of a kid fishing pond, although anyone could fish in that water. But it's one that we stock a lot of rainbow trout into, and we stock it during the springtime months. So it's a, it's a good place to go, particularly with a family or maybe a new angler to go out and see if they can get some of those those recently stocked rainbows. And it runs adjacent to the Provo River, too. So if you're looking for maybe more of a fly fishing opportunity and just a, a large river kind of setting, it's it's right there as well. Oh, that sounds like a great opportunity. You know, you can leave the kids at the pond go fishing, and you can take the fly rod and see if you can catch some trout out of the river. All right. Another one, Mill Hollow Reservoir. That's a five-star one as well. Where's that one, and, and what are folks going to catch there? 
Yeah, Mill Hollow Reservoir is sort of, if you think of where Park City is, it's going to be maybe 30 or 50 miles east of there. So I guess about maybe an hour drive or so from Park City, just further up in the mountains. So this is uh, maybe a little more high elevation fishery, but it's, it's got good access to it. We stock it with rainbow trout, brook trout, and tiger trout. And it's one that I think right now has some ice on it, but we expect that ice to break off really soon, probably the next week or two weeks. And really, you know, in a lot of our waters, when that ice first comes off, it provides really some great fishing. You know, it's interesting to me that you said it's stocked with brook trout. I thought that Western fisheries biologists hated eastern brook trout with a passion. Yeah, you know, we use brook trout very judiciously across the state. You know, we've got a lot of anglers who love brook trout. We don't want to take that opportunity for those people who really like to catch brook trout away from them. But, you know, here in Utah, we, we also manage with a lot of cutthroat trout. And that's the primary interaction we're concerned about are the impacts that non-native brook trout have with rainbow trout. So we're very careful about where we stock uh, brook trout across the state. We stock them in areas that are outside of our cutthroat trout conservation areas. So that means that we have a reduced chance of those brook trout having a negative impact on those uh, cutthroat trout. The other thing we stock a lot of are what we call triploid brook trout. So these are ones that we've uh, basically in the hatcheries, from a technical sense, subjected them to a lot of pressure as an egg. And what that does is it makes those fish unable to reproduce. So we're able to have a lot of control over our populations. We don't have to worry about them reproducing and getting out of control because we're stocking the fish that can't reproduce. So in the case of Mill Hollow, we're just trying to provide that brook trout opportunity for people. We're doing it kind of a controlled setting where we don't have to worry about them escaping and having an impact on our cutthroat trout populations. Well, you really explained that well. I think just about every Western state fisheries biologist would give similar answer to that. But I've got to admit, I've got a soft spot in my heart for brookies. Uh, the very first trout of any real size I caught was a brook trout out of the Poudre River in Colorado, and I've loved them ever since. Speaking of other places to go fishing for more than just trout, another five-star review for East Canyon Reservoir. And there's also a state park there, too, northeast of Salt Lake City. Yeah, this one's a little northeast of Salt Lake City, and if you think of if you know where Ogden is, it's more or less dead east of Ogden, maybe by 30 miles or so. So it's an easy one to get to. It's also easy to get to from Salt Lake. It's not that far of a drive, but it's a state park, so it's got all the standard state park facilities, you know, nice boat ramps and campgrounds, and I think they might have some rentals for some equipment there. So it's a nice place to go. Um, it's got rainbow trout, kokanee salmon, and wiper in it. So, you know, you think about all those species, you know, the rainbows, they're going to do really well after ice off. Kokanee, usually maybe later in May, come on pretty hard there. And then wipers are another species we've been stocking for a number of years in there, which might be more of a, a later kind of summer warmer temperature species, but it's another opportunity that we've got that water. Well, I love the variety of fish that you've got there. So moving away from the five-star fisheries to maybe some fisheries you would recommend for the month of May in Utah, give me a couple more ideas. Yeah, definitely. You know, a lot of the waters we talked about previously, the ones that are fishing really well right now, but they're maybe not some of the classic trout waters that we've got in Utah. So some other ones that really jump to mind are Strawberry Reservoir, which is kind of dead east of Provo. So maybe a 45-minute hour drive from there. You've got Schofield Reservoir, which is really on the road to price, a little off that, but it's, it's probably maybe an hour and a half, hour, 45-minute drive from Salt Lake City or so. Those come to mind. you got Fish Lake down in more of the southern part of the state, kind of in the Richfield area. 
These are all waters right now, though, that are great trout fisheries that we've got in the state. Right now, they all have ice, but they're all waters that when that ice breaks off here in the next few weeks, usually it provides great fishing opportunities. If you look down in the southern part of the state, if you're more into bass fishing, uh, you know, kind of warm water fishing, we got Lake Powell, which is really an incredible place to go. And striped bass fishing is often really great through May and June there. And then I guess if you look in the northeastern part of the state, we've got Flaming Gorge Reservoir, which is kind of your classic western trout fishery with rainbow trout, kokanee salmon, lake trout smallmouth bass in it. That's another one that does really well when the ice breaks off. Flaming Gorge Reservoir, your neighbors to the north in Wyoming who share this lake with you, they've got some real concerns about the state of the fishery there in terms of what has been probably the the best trophy kokanee fishery in the nation is facing challenges because of an overabundance of smaller lake trout. Can you explain to our listeners what's going on with that? Yeah, right now we've got a, a large population. We call them pup lake trout. I mean, they're they're nice sized fish, but you know they're maybe twenty to twenty five inches or so in length, and that size they're very predatory towards some of the smaller kokanee salmon. And because there's just so many of them in the lake, uh, you know they're they're having an impact on kokanee salmon numbers. So we're definitely encouraging anglers to harvest lake trout they catch of that size for the specific reason of just trying to thin the population out so we can have fewer of them in there so we can maybe help the lake trout population out there. Any other lakes you'd like to recommend? we got about 30 seconds left. Or rivers, for that matter, for the month of May. Yeah, I mean, we've got some great rivers. You know, the Green River coming out of uh, Flaming Gorge is a great river in the state. The Weber River also is another great uh, river in the state. And, you know, we've got a lot of smaller rivers as well that fish very well. We definitely have a good snowpack, though. So for fishing and streams, you know, you want to wait for that to maybe come down a little bit. But we do have some great stream fishing here in Utah. Well, if you want to find out more about planning a fishing vacation in Utah, here's the website to go to. It's really simple, wildlife.utah.gov. That's wildlife.utah.gov. Go to the fish page and you'll find a map and you can start planning your next adventure today. Randy, thank you so much for sharing this with us today on America Outdoors Radio. Yeah, no problem. Thank you. Why book at Sportsman's Cove Lodge? Why is Alaska like no other place on Earth? It hasn't changed in thousands of years. From the way you get here on a float plane to the way you go out with the guides and the boats, it's just a professional experience. And I said, this is as good as it gets. I said, if you can't catch fish here, you can't catch fish anywhere. Your experience with us will leave you speechless. Book now at alaskasbestlodge.com. Are you looking to reel in the marketing opportunity of a lifetime? America Outdoors Radio has sponsorships available, and we offer affordable platforms to reach thousands of listeners. Find out more by contacting John Cruz through his website at americaoutdoorsradio.com. You're back in with America Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. Let's talk a little bit about deer hunting. We're going to have this conversation with Hank Forrester. He is with the National Deer Association. Their mission is to ensure the future of wild deer, wildlife, habitat, and hunting. And part of that 
involves mentoring new hunters. Now, we could be talking about young hunters. We could be talking about adult hunters. We could be talking about men or women. But either way, if you're taking a new hunter afield or reactivating one that maybe hasn't hunted for a long time, there's certain traits that make you more successful than others. Hank wrote a great article about this that you can find at DeerAssociation.com. Hank, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Let's start off a, a little bit about you. How long have you been a hunter, and how long have you been mentoring other hunters? Oh, that's, that's a tough question to answer. But my parents were not hunters. I didn't grow up hunting per se. But I was fortunate to have a neighbor and his son, who was my age, who lived a few doors up the street from me You know, when I was a young teen. And so I, I was very fortunate to have them take me afield, mentor me, and I obviously understand the value of a good mentor from that. But that was uh, many moons ago. I've been hunting for uh, over 30 years now and um, worked for the National Deer Association for over 10. Wow. How many people do you think, roughly speaking, you've mentored over the years? Oh, gosh. I would say that I've probably personally sat with somewhere around 30 hunters who have harvested their first deer in the last decade and organized programs that uh, brought in a, a lot more first deer on top of that. Now, in your article, you point out that research shows there are up to 25 million people interested in learning how to hunt, but sometimes we as potential mentors we make mistakes that actually drive people away from the field instead of getting them all on board. So let's run through some of the practices that are in your article that help to make a successful mentor and get those people in the field and have them stay in the field. And I guess the first one has to do with picking the right person to mentor. Why don't you explain more about that? Sure, you're correct. Recent research suggests there are over 25 million Americans who are interested in learning to hunt. And, you know, currently there's only about 11.5 million Americans who will have a hunting license in any given year. We think there's roughly about 16 million hunters, but contrary to what many of us super avid hunters do, uh, many people don't buy a hunting license every year. So, you know, we could easily double to triple the number of hunters in this country by doing a better job of mentoring. And current hunters are, you know, classic jargon and a state agency meeting or something is uh, male, pale, and stale. You know, we are 97% Caucasian and we're 90% male as general in, in hunting throughout the country. So there's definitely opportunity there to get more people into hunting. You know, traditionally people have thought about youth for mentoring and not that you shouldn't mentor the youth in your family or those around you, but we've we obviously understand that adult first-time hunters are a more efficient audience. They have car keys, they have checkbooks, they have calendars that they fill at their will, and uh, they can mentor a new hunter almost immediately. Uh, they can mentor their kids, they can mentor their peers, and, and honestly, they can do it immediately. So, you know, we, we don't overlook any groups, but we certainly say that, you know, adult or mentees are, are your most efficient audience, and, of course, we'd like to see more people mentoring folks from outside of hunting cultures who didn't grow up around hunting. Uh, there could be a lot to be said about diversifying hunting. Uh, could do a lot for the future of it. You know, something else that you point out is that as mentors, we need to accept the motivations of the people we're mentoring as to why they want to go hunting. Because it might not be all about the big buck with the big rack and all the points on the antlers. It might be something entirely different. Sure. I mean, even motivations for current hunters have changed over the years, so we've surveyed them, you know, and you could say a lot about that. But 
we know that, you know, there are many people who are interested in learning to hunt for a multitude of reasons. The, the ones leading the pack today are typically for meat, for a connection with nature, you know, for community or camaraderie, you know, within hunting circles or even, you know, something to do with their friends or family. Those are kind of the big three. But people hunt for a multitude of different reasons or even a mixture of those. I think it's I think it's honestly a trick question to ask somebody why you hunt because even for myself, there's a few different reasons I hunt. And, you know, that day one may be leading over the other, but I can't really put my finger on one exact reason why I hunt. But it's important to accept those motivations and to not project your motivations onto that new hunter. You know, the National Deer Association comes from a background of a lot of our membership are very super avid hunters that are into habitat management, that kind of stuff, deer management. And, and honestly, time and time again, I run into our volunteers and, and mentors who want to educate and talk a lot about deer management when that first-time hunter might be out there solely for that connection with nature to harvest some food, know where their food comes from. And so it's just important that we understand why these new hunters are coming to field and, you know, help them along their journey uh, with those motivations in mind. You know, your next one speaks to me because it's a mistake I made. Don't overdo it. Have a vivid memory of taking uh, an adult that was a, a friend of my best friend and I out duck hunting for the opener. And the way we did it is we had a 12-foot boat, and we piled it full of gear, and we actually had two 12-foot boats. And we would take it about a mile and a half through these canals and waterways through this desert environment in eastern Washington. Well, the water was low that year, and we had to drag these boats that had hundreds of pounds of gear in them over sandbars, and it was brutal. I mean, we're not talking just five yards over a sandbar. We're talking like literally... Uh, 50, 75 yards over sandbars. And he never hunted with us again. Let's just say he didn't think duck hunting was any fun at all after that. And, and you could do the same thing as a, you know, during a deer hunt too, can't you? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I think Stephen Ranella calls it, they talk about it on their podcast, I'm a type two fun. It's not actually fun at the moment, but, you know, remembering back upon it is fun. You know, there are some aspects of hunting that, that can fall in that category. Especially, you know, if you get out there enough. But no, we we should make hunting fun. We should make it approachable uh, with our organized hunts when we can. We like to start people in the early season when weather, deer movement is more predictable, more daylight. You know, we, we prefer to start people with an afternoon hunt, meaning they're going to field for the first time, you know, in daylight, just making it more comfortable. But there's all kinds of ways that you can you can make, you know, and I'm not I'm not one to make it posh. I don't think everybody needs an elevated box blind. And actually, the reviews of our first-time hunters are terrible for these, you know, high-end deer stands that many of our seasoned hunters like, but they feel like they're in a plastic box. But, you know... There's something to making it fun, not not making it a horror story. You know, maybe take weather into account. Don't you know if it's terrible weather, just take a pass. But you know, it, it's just about getting people out in in an approachable and, and fun way. And you know, earlier in the season also gives them more time to continue their trial phase that year. So another reason why we promote early season hunts. And you actually have something at the National Deer Association called the Field to Fork Program that incorporates all of this, doesn't it? Sure. 
Yeah, we've highlighted an adult learn to hunt program called Build to Fork that's very much a food focused you know, learn to hunt program uh, that's focused at creating hunters. So we've fleshed out a lot of these, you know, successful practices and, and have a lot of experience in doing so. But, you know, just last year, for example, we had 54 field to fork events in 19 states. I'm taking anywhere from, you know, six to 70 new hunters a field per program. That is absolutely fantastic. And we haven't even gotten through half of your recommendations yet. So would you mind sticking around through the commercial break from our sponsors so that we can talk a little bit more about this? Absolutely. My pleasure. Outstanding. By the way, folks, this portion of the show is brought to you by our friends at Henry Repeating Arms. And if you are going to recommend a rifle for a new hunter, well, steer them towards henryusa.com. They've got lever action rifles, great not only for new hunters, but seasoned hunters as well. And they're chambered in classic calibers like 3030, which still works great for whitetail deer. And they've got more modern calibers too, especially in the Henry Long Ranger line of rifles, where you can get 243, 308, and 6.5 Creedmoor, all great deer calibers. All of the rifles from Henry Repeating Arms are made right here in the USA. They're all rugged, they're all reliable, and they shoot straight right out of the box. So, go to henryusa.com right now, look for an authorized dealer near you, and while you're online, don't forget to ask for your free decals and catalog too. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nationwide nonprofit organization dedicated to providing hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under who suffer from life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. These adventures make big differences in the lives of those who participate in them, and in many cases are literally a dream come true that brings hope and therapy to their lives. Find out more, get involved, or donate today at huntofalifetime.org. That's huntofalifetime.org. Huntofalifetime.org. Hunting and fishing are exercises in hope. Before you head into the woods, you hope to tag out on a deer you'll have to field dress. Before you make that first cast, you hope for a big fish to clean and fillet. When your hopes are realized, you'll need a sharp knife. Whether you sharpen that blade on a power sharpener in the shop or a manual sharpener in the field, WorkSharp has the tool for you. Look for WorkSharp products in sporting and stores near you or online at WorkSharpTools.com. Campers, adventure seekers, hunters, and foodies. No matter the lifestyle, we can all agree on one thing. Great food and great people are worth remembering. At Camp Chef, we don't just make grills. We create each product knowing that a warm meal is always better when it's shared with those we love. Learn more about Camp Chef grills, smokers, and portable cooking equipment at CampChef.com. That's CampChef.com for a better way to cook outdoors. Looking to reel in the marketing opportunity of a lifetime? Then set the hook because we've got it right here. America Outdoors Radio has sponsorships available, and we offer an affordable platform to reach thousands of listeners interested in fishing, hunting, and the outdoors. Find out more by contacting host John Cruz through his website at AmericanOutdoorsRadio.com. That's AmericanOutdoorsRadio.com. But hurry, if you wait too long, this big opportunity might just get away. That's AmericanOutdoorsRadio.com. Attention small business owners, this could be the most important 10-minute call you will ever make. You could recover up to $26,000 per employee today. 
And all you have to do is make one short 10-minute call to take your business up a notch or bounce back from these difficult couple of years. Omega Accounting Solutions can help you recover any payroll tax overpayments you made during the pandemic. You may even be eligible to receive up to $26,000 per employee. All it takes is a quick, easy, free 10-minute ERC consultation to determine if you qualify. Omega is the small business champion with teams dedicated to maximizing tax credits. They know their stuff so well that CPAs and payroll companies even turn to Omega for ERC tax guidance. Call 800-300-9ERC. That's 800-300-9ERC. 1-800-300-9ERC. Or visit OmegaTaxCredits.com. You're back in with America Outdoors Radio. I'm John Cruz. We've got Hank Forrester back with us with the National Deer Association. We've been talking about the traits of a successful mentor getting new hunters into the field, whether they be kids or adults or men or women or people of color. It's important that we get as many people out there hunting as possible because it's the hunters that care about not just the sport, but also about conserving the animals that we hunt as well. Hank, thanks for sticking through the commercial break. My pleasure. So let's talk a few more traits of successful mentees. And one of those is setting expectations. I think that's very important to know not just their motivation, but what expectations the new hunter will have and whether they're realistic or not. Absolutely. I think it's another, you know, setting expectations is a broad catch-all. And it can come down to, you know, setting the expectations of what an expected field. And, and often the, the most overlooked information is those that we take for granted. And specifically, the number one thing I can think of is we forget to explain what to expect after the shot. And these new hunters take a shot at a deer, it runs off, they think they missed, you know, that kind of stuff. But as seasoned hunters, we assume everybody would know. And it, it's those little tidbits that are often go overlooked. But also, you know, setting expectations also comes down to, you know, behavior field, what to expect of field, safety, you know, all those considerations that you can uh, go over with your mentee afield. And something else we should talk about is before you even get them in the field is trying to build a foundation. You know, obviously the new hunter needs basic education as a prerequisite. They need a license. They probably have to go through hunter's ed. But you actually have a whole YouTube series, Deer Hunting 101, and a Deer Hunting 101 online course through the National Deer Association, don't you? Yes, we do. We utilize both online hunter education and our online Deer Hunting 101 course that is uh, through Today's Hunter or Calcomai as prerequisites to show up to our official training day uh, for our field deport programs, which is more focused on, you know, safety, shot placement, actually using crossbows or rifles, you know, that kind of stuff, range training. And then just we usually do either property tours or, you know, even us and mills, that kind of stuff is more of a community building. But we have taken most of our education off of the mentor and put it online. And oddly enough, I have found time and time again 
We seasoned hunters may be very seasoned hunters, but the confidence level to teach a group how to deer hunt we usually are lacking in. And honestly, I think that is exactly why people don't get into hunting. It's just a confidence level. But even us seasoned hunters seem to be shy about teaching a group of people how to deer hunt. So we try to take that away from the mentor so they can focus on their time of field and, and you know time at the range and stuff like that. But we have a YouTube video series. We have a podcast and we have a actual paid online course that we think should be or considered gold standards of kind of the deer education. And that's what the National Deer Association has always kind of hung their hat on is education and outreach. You know, uh, another trait for a successful mentee and another mistake I've made as a mentor, make it comfortable. Again, another duck hunt. This time it was my daughter. The very first time I took her duck hunting, it was out on a guided duck hunting trip. And we went for a boat ride, and it was cold, and it was raining, and, you know, she was maybe 12 years old, and she was wearing hand-me-down old army surplus gear that wasn't that rainproof, and we got out there, and we'd been there half an hour, and she's like, Dad, when do we get to go back? <laughs> the poor kid was just miserable, and so the, the guide, he actually was able to make a little fire for her in the blind, and she was able to stay comfortable for the hunt, and it stuck, and, and she went on many hunts with me after that, but oh boy, you got, you got to make sure that they're comfortable, because if they're not, uh, you're going to have a hard time getting them to go out again, aren't you? Absolutely. Yeah, comfort can come down to food in your belly or appropriate clothing, but it's important to make it you know, a comfortable experience. And it, it's kind of like the don't overdo it bullet. But even, uh, you know, one of the examples I use in this article is about getting someone comfortable getting to a position to take a shot. And uh, it's my experience mentoring Emily Barrett, who had had struggled with accuracy from the deer stand. I mean, she's a certified NRA range instructor, but I, I sat in the deer stand with her, and we were just going over, you know, how it may unfold and how we're going to get ready. And I think that's an important aspect to being a good mentor. But she was using just a single shooting stick, a little monopod, and I was watching her practice and, and just thinking there's no way we, we're going to make an accurate shot sitting, you know, in a folding chair with a little monopod and an elevated box blind. But I talked her into doing something that I've done from my personal experiences. You know, I need a good shooting rest. So I talked her into shooting, sitting on the floor and using the one beam of the window in this soft-sided blind as a shooting rest. And she made a perfect shot on a doe that evening but it, it's about figuring out how to get comfortable you know what it takes and that was an example of the time that we figured out how to get her comfortable to make a good shot with a rifle out of the soft side of line you know and that goes right into the next trait for a successful mentor being able to build confidence into that new hunter i think you know that story illustrates that to a certain point but why don't you go a little bit deeper into building confidence Sure, no, I alluded to it earlier, but I believe building confidence is, is how we create hunters. It's, it's just getting this new hunter or aspiring hunter to a point where they believe that hunting is attainable to them, that it's something they can do and they're going to do it, and that's simply a confidence level. We build that confidence through social support, just like you found in your hunting camp. You may have grown up down or, or whatnot, but... You know, that's kind of the missing link for many aspiring new hunters is they don't have this community and that camaraderie. But, you know, making mentoring a group effort, example, like our Field of Work program gives you all those people to 
pat on the back or celebrate successes and failures, but we're boosting their confidence, building that social support, giving them the ammunition they need to be a successful hunter, but also giving them the cell phone possibly just to call you if they are successful and need a helping hand. The other confidence level I think is, is very important is a new hunter needs to know how to take care of an animal right? or a responsible one won't return. And so it's important to get a group together if, if someone is successful in harvesting a deer. Get the entire group together and show them how to take care of an animal, how to clean it. They need to get their hands on that. It's just one of those major confidence levels that predicts whether someone will return a field. I'll tell you what, this is all great stuff, and folks, there's even more. So again, I would go to the website for the National Deer Association. Just go to DeerAssociation.com. Check out some of the articles to include this one by Hank Forrester, 10 Practices of the Most Successful Deer Hunting Mentors. You just heard some great stuff that'll help you be a better mentor to a hunter that you want to introduce to the sport. Hank, thanks for what you do, and thanks for sharing this with us today on America Outdoors Radio. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. I really like how Hank emphasized taking care of that animal after the shot. And if you're going to do that, you know you're going to need to have a sharp knife, and you might even need to have a knife sharpener with you. That's where the pocket knife sharpener or guided field sharpener from WorkSharp comes in so handy. And those are just two of the many manual knife sharpeners that you will find from WorkSharp at WorkSharpTools.com. They've also got a whole lineup of powered knife and tool sharpeners for your shop and for your kitchen, so you can get those knives sharp before you even head to the field. Again, check out the entire lineup at WorkSharpTools.com and look for WorkSharp products in quality sporting goods stores near you. Next up, I've got a favor to ask of you and it's not for me it's for a friend her name is Rhonda Edwards she lives in the same little town I live in in north central Washington got to meet Rhonda a few months ago she is an absolutely delightful woman she loves to fish she loves being in the outdoors she loves horseback riding and she particularly loves riding her Harley Davidson motorcycle unfortunately Rhonda has been battling low-grade ovarian cancer for some 14 years now It got pretty serious about 10 years ago. She was able to beat it, and it went back into a low-grade cancer again. Unfortunately, it is now spreading and becoming more aggressive. And Rhonda is not sure that the doctors and medical staff that we have here are going to be able to help her because what she's fighting is a very unique form of cancer. So she is hoping to go to a facility in Houston, Texas, called MD Anderson that specializes in the treatment for this specific type of cancer, and she needs some financial help if that's going to happen because she has to get down there, she has to have a place to stay, she has to eat and go on living just like the rest of us. So here's what we've done. We've set up a GoFundMe page for Rhonda. If you go to GoFundMe, you'll find it under the title of Help Rhonda Edwards Fight Cancer. You can also go to our America Outdoors Radio Facebook page, and you'll find the fundraiser right there. And I hope that you can find it in your hearts to contribute something, whether it be $25, $50, or more. It all helps Rhonda to get the treatment that she needs so that her life can be saved. 
Again, help Rhonda Edwards fight cancer. It's a GoFundMe campaign. I hope you can help. And I would personally be grateful for anything you can contribute. On that note, it is time to go. But here's hoping you are healthy and here's hoping you are enjoying some of the spring weather that we are having across our United States. Until next week, be blessed and remember this. It is your country and you're outdoors, so get out there and enjoy it. (laughs) 